Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. and welcome. This is Ilya with the Spectrum Strategy Group. And today I have Erica and Sam with me. Um, as you all know, I have been doing a series of podcasts on relationship and sexuality and gender and how that sort of all intersects with autism and neurodiversity. And so I really don't want to, wanted to bring in a couple um, to have this conversation about you know, what does a neurodiverse couple look like? And I realized, wait, I have friends <laughs> who kind of fit here. Um, and so, you know, just to give a little background, uh, I know Erica from um, the Autism Project, which she was, um, I guess, the director of development there, right? Yeah. And then also from the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health, we were both on the board for that, the CSPH. And um, actually, Sam kind of met you <laughs> two ways. One was you were speaking at A&E at the sexuality conference, which I was like, oh, wait, I know that person. And that is because we have mutual friends as well. And we met at a holiday party uh, that they had. So I was like, wait, this is this would be perfect. And, you know, our paths have crossed so many times in different ways. Um, and and Sam, you also do emerg emergency management, right? So, that's correct. And so that's where my husband, one of his special interests lies. So again, we've been able to have some really great conversations. Uh, so welcome. And um, maybe if you both give a little bit of background about yourselves, I know I've gotten a little high level, uh, but I know things are, you know, you're in different places now from how we originally met. You want to go first? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So um, since, since we're here, we're here talking about uh, relationships and, and uh, being on the autism spectrum. Uh, so Eric and I met, um, see, this is, so we met nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so th this is, uh, well, we could argue that this is our a second marriage for both of us or really a first marriage for both of us, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm. Um, but very shortly after we met, um, my uh, or our oldest daughter was diagnosed with a high functioning autism um, and reading her report and saying, you know, some of this stuff sounds kind of familiar. I decided to go through a neuropsych eval and I was diagnosed with what at the time was called Asperger's. Now we call it high functioning autism. I still prefer Asperger's, but I like I like to consider myself an Aspergian. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that that is that's our background. I got a high level high level view. Yeah, and about yourself. Oh, and about myself. Yeah, what uh, do you do, love? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> who are you, so Sam? I, I spent the, so I spent the, I spent the better part of the last two decades working in uh, uh, as an executive in various. Uh, aspects of public safety and emergency management. I work in higher ed uh, public safety now, and I'm an emergency management director. I am also working on my PhD uh, in climate adaptation and resilience, uh, looking at the vulnerability of coastal communities with respect to climate change. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought about doing the PhD thing and I was like scared. So I, wow. <laughs> so during the pandemic, my PhD, um, it's, it's been a busy year. <laughs> I bet. I bet. The way that Sam's students as well really amazes me. It, his it's brain, very Asperger. And the, right. This is like one of those, and we'll probably get into this later in terms of you know, both of us having very different strengths, but I watch him student and it's just, it's just so much more sane than me studenting. <laughs> studenting. It's, it's kind of ironic. I'm very, I'm so type A and I just, uh, you know, I think I, the way that he's able to, to organize his work, you know, his student work and integrate it with his Work, work, and his life as a parent and a husband is pretty amazing to me. Um, Erica finds it funny that when I'm, when I'm, when I have to write a, a paper, or lately been actually writing my research proposal and doing a, a massive literature review, that I, I tend to write in my head. So when I'm actually laying in bed with my eyes closed, when I look like I'm sleeping, I'm actually writing. But when I sit down at the computer, I'm really kind of just taking dictation from what was already written in my mm. brain. It amazes me. It looks every like time. I just sat down. And I just, it looks like I just sat down at the keyboard and just banged out a twenty-page paper out of it's nowhere. That's amazing to me. <laughs> I would have. Meanwhile, I would have been at the computer for several hours, like writing and rewriting the same. Right. Time. You just keep editing this. Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sam and I met nine years ago. I have spent my entire career as a nonprofit executive. So, as Ilya mentioned, I used to work at the Autism Project. I am now the Director of External Relations at Providence Public Library. So I'm overseeing all of their um, fundraising, development, marketing, PR, communications, which is awesome. Um, and also on a, a number of nonprofit boards. I, I termed off the CSPH board in June, which I've been mm -hmm. there for six years, which I couldn't believe. Wow. Um, but I, they're, they're still near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we have two kids. Um, our oldest, Dev, who is on the spectrum as well, as Sam mentioned, and Eli, who is now our middle child, I suppose, because we have one on the way. Oh, yay. <laughs> yay. That's so exciting. Very and, good. And uh, also um, a very adorable black lab named Gomez <laughs> and a tabby cat named Rosie. Less adorable. <laughs> Well, at least they can all coexist in the same space. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's so awesome. It's a full house. <laughs> Great. So now how did you both meet? I picked her up in a bar with her mother. <laughs> the true story. Yes. So I had never been to Rhode Island before and my younger brother was moving here post-college. Um, he had gotten a job as a civilian engineer for the Navy in Newport and his girlfriend at the time was getting her uh, master's in mechanical engineering at Brown. So they picked Bristol, Rhode Island as this sort of midpoint to live. And we decided we'd make a family vacation out of it and move Greg and Hallie into their first post-college apartment. And one afternoon after, I think my mother and I had been cleaning, helping Greg clean his kitchen. Um, and it's five o'clock and he had to go do something with my father. And my mom and I were well, let's go get a cocktail. <laughs> so we went to a local bar in Bristol and it was basically just the two of us because it was somewhat early. And in walked Sam. So I, <laughs> that's how we met. <laughs> wow. And I knew he was local because he clearly knew the bartender. And, and the first thing I heard you say was that you wanted a Guinness and a shot of anything. <laughs> right. And Mike, the bartender, didn't even bother to like ask, seek further clarification. <laughs> and, he, and he brought me my Guinness in my own mug, which was mug number one for the beer club. It British Beer Company. So, so we, yeah, uh, we, okay. we struck up a conversation um, and Sam 
you know, ended up giving me his his email address and phone number on his business card. Right, because I'm as I have Asperger's, I have no filter or inhibitions. <laughs> he just sort of went for it, and I remember Sorry. being so impressed that this like gentleman had given me his number in front of my mother. <laughs> um, that wasn't was, a factor, right? That was like, oh no, I just want to give this person my number. Yeah, so yeah. And, and I was like, well, that's refreshing. And at the time, I was on vacation. Oh, maybe I'll call him for a drink. But um, well, I gave it to you on the back of my business cards so that you would know I was bona fide. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we didn't end up meeting up. That your father thwarted us. Yeah, we tried to meet up, but um, <laughs> we <laughs> we ended up not meeting up during the rest of that family vacation. We ended up talking for a month, about a month, um, and then I I came back to Rhode Island to quote unquote visit my brother. Uh, <laughs> and it ended up we saw him for breakfast. I think, yeah, I ended up spending <laughs> the whole weekend with Sam, and and that's pretty much it. You know, at the time I was living in Philadelphia, so we were long distance for about a year and a half, and then I. I took the plunge and moved up here. We got engaged and got married, and, and the rest is history. But yes, he picked me up su very successfully in a bar <laughs> with my mother. <laughs> so all the ways that people might think would be, well, that doesn't usually happen. That's very rare, you know. <laughs> but it happens. But I do think, you know, one of the things that first attracted me to Sam was this. He was, I could tell how earnest he was. And... <laughs> I appreciated the no filter. Um, and I come from a, a family of people with very little filter, maybe in different ways, but this was like, this was very refreshing to me. Um, yeah, I had to, it turns out I have to really work hard to actually offend anybody. <laughs> as long as you stay away from politics, everything's fine. Well, that's a general rule, I think. General yeah. rule, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and and so, I, you know, we were dating. We were in our first year of dating when Dev got diagnosed and then subsequently Sam. Um, so really, you know, as uh, while you Sam have been on your own sort of trajectory of discovering who you are as an Aspergian, you know, we've been discovering together what it means to be in a neurodiverse relationship almost from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you talk about the, you know, so let's say this this lack of filter and transparency, which I often hear is, is such a, a, a refreshing thing that we don't often see for a lot of all types of relationship uh, with other humans. Um, what what else, you know, kind of is part of that attraction that that may or may not be, you know, a, um, an autism thing or a spectrum thing? Yeah. Well, so definitely the, you know, I, Sam is, he can't help but be honest, right? Like that. <laughs> it's, it is both a blessing and a and curse. And a curse, right. Sometimes too honest. Uh, <laughs> this is, well, this is the sort of thing where there are certain responses you're supposed to give your spouse under certain circumstances. Like, does this outfit make my rear end look big? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I just, I'm endlessly, you know, I thought my my job is a communicator, right? That's that's what I love to do. It's what I do, um, you know, at work. And this has, you know, being with Sam has completely changed, like how how good of a communicator I thought I was, and and the assumptions that I <laughs> made about how people communicate effectively. And you know, I I'm always you know, and and I think so. That's that's an attraction. But I, Sam's brain is a marvel to me. I love all of the things he does so incredibly well, um, and almost all of them. Like we're very yin and yang in that way. What he can do incredibly well, like I like he can rewire the house. 
I would blow up the house if I tried to do that. <laughs> so, um, but I appreciate, I love that about him. And I appreciate how we can work together as a team in those ways. Like when we get it right, it's a very, very strong team effort and experience. Um, and I also think that, you know, Sam is the most, one of the most passionate and loyal people I've, I've ever met. Um, you know, he, he, when he loves someone or something, he loves them with all he has, you know, or loves, you know, and loves doing the thing with all he has. And, you know, he, I also think he's very handsome. <laughs> well, there you go. That's because I let my hair grow out during the pandemic. <laughs> And we, and you know, I, I think too, as I'm a queer woman and Sam is probably the, the first and only person I've ever dated who really understood all of me. Um, like just right away, just accepted all of me for who I was. And I'd never had that experience before. There was no questioning of it. There was no, okay, well, what does that mean in this context? Or um, expecting me to maybe put part of that aside um, to make the relationship work, he just accepted me right away for who who I was in in my totality, and was like, "Cool, that's who you are." Um, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, all right, I didn't realize that <laughs> relationships could be like that." Oh wow! So, you know, so everything you've talked about up up till now just feels like, well, isn't isn't it make well? Doesn't it make sense that all relationships, right, especially romantic relationships? should be based on really good communication and being able to accept someone in their totality and right being able to talk about all of the feelings and emotions without fear of being judged or being asked to not bring your full authentic self to the table this seems like this seems like ground ball not that it's easy by any stretch of the mm -hmm. imagination but it should be pretty it should be a no-brainer right it should be a no-brainer so so what makes it different here what makes it different in go ahead i, I see you <laughs> i think one of the things that i've had to learn in my professional life as well as my home life is that well not everybody always wants to actually have the honest blunt truth all the time it it has it has its place but sometimes it's not you know i'm not advocating this truth just redirection sometimes um and i'm not always particularly good at knowing when to do that. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I don't, and I don't tend to, I, 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 I these are all things that I work on, but um, I don't, I, I'm told that I'm not, that I don't always, I, that I don't always respond well to emotion. Um, and I get very overloaded by emotion. And, and and my beautiful wife is Italian and El Salvadorian, and as my former therapist said, everything is huge. <laughs> and and so I, well, I, it's a like as a as a person on the spectrum, one of the things that you know that's very common to many of us. We all, we all function in our own unique ways on the spectrum, but you know there's certainly common themes, and one of them is that you know we don't tend to have certain social reactions that are sort of fluent. And I I kind of liken it to I you know. I studied French in high school. Not actually true, but uh, well, no, I didn't. Definitely didn't study. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I took I took I took French in high school, right? And I learned enough that I guess at least when it was fresh in my mind, I probably could have gone to a restaurant in Paris and or and ordered you know key parts of a meal, right, without too much trouble. But if I had to have a back and forth conversation, it definitely would have been more than I could handle. But the point is that you that you know when you have that level of of uh, mastery, you have to be able to sort of translate everything back and forth. So you have to read it in French 
translate it into English in your head and then translate it back into French in a very conscious way to sort of give your order to the waiter. And in terms of relationships and interacting with others, the things that are fluent to many people who are not on the spectrum are the sort of manual process of figuring out, okay, so now the appropriate response to this is X and it doesn't happen natively. So it's a, it's a deliberate, thoughtful process. And the more tired, so first of all, that's, it's exhausting. And if you're already exhausted because it's a pandemic and you have a crazy job and a PhD and a baby on the way, you know, it's even more difficult. Um, so while I, and this is the part that I think Erica at times struggles with, she's like, I've seen you do it. I know you can do it. I know you can respond constructively when I'm upset. But the problem is it's under different circumstances and different levels of energy. And so sometimes I get it right and sometimes I don't. And I think that has been a real struggle for, I think, for Erica to both sort of live with, but also under, you know, understand. Right. And approaching it, you know, we have two different operating systems. And I think it's constantly being aware of that, um, you know, and for me, it's realizing how exhausting, you know, especially if Sam has come from a long day at work, right, where he's already like, you know, multiplied those interactions with people who aren't his family, right? Like constantly throughout the day doing this process of translating. I'm already annoyed. Right. That's already <laughs> exhausting. It's already a lot. Um, and then I, I know how difficult and I see how difficult it is for him to come home um, and then, you know, have to do additional translation, especially if we have, you know, something bigger to talk about or it involves more emotion. Um, it's, it's a lot. So I need to be sensitive to that. And I've had to work on you know, how do I present those things to Sam in ways that um, he can understand them better, that requires for me less emotionality, quote unquote, at times, um, or a, a softer approach, which is not native to me. Because <laughs> everything is huge. <laughs> um, and and that's like you know that's still it's been a work in progress over over nine years. Um, but I've also also learned that I have to sometimes just push on through right. and rise above it. So it's a balancing act, and I think I think the hardest parts for us are when we're both fried, right? Because when we're both fried, um, we need entirely different things in those moments. Sam typically needs you know or usually needs to take space. He wants to be left alone. He wants to do his own internal processing. I need the opposite. I want to talk about it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about it for, you know, several hours until we've, you know, fully delved into every aspect of whatever the topic is. Um, and I've had a full like philosophical discussion, um, you know, and I, you know, preferably want to do it like on the couch cuddling. Right. And that's the, that's the, uh, the complete opposite of <laughs> what Sam wants in that moment. Um, so that's tough, you know, and I think it's this is constant, you know, our communication with each other is is this balancing act of wh where are we both if we're both fried, you know, like it's me asking myself questions like, okay, can we actually table this to tomorrow or another day when we might be less fried or Sam might be less fried or is there an aspect of this we can talk about successfully now or can Sam take like 30 minutes of space and we could try to try to get to it a little bit later. Um, you know, and those are those are the types of things that have helped us. And Sam has gotten better too. And um, at sort of, I think you can anticipate better than you used to be able to when you're approaching overwhelm. Yeah, I used to just flip out and not not understand why. Mm -hmm. Now I, I can tell you I'm about to flip out. Which so is <laughs> Well, at least you know it's coming. But it's actually, and you have the opportunity to disengage or not. Very, <laughs> it's very helpful, you know, I think, in knowing where he is on the, like, 
you know, this is actually overwhelming. If he's able to actually say to me, like, it's getting to the point where I'm feeling this is too much and I'm overwhelmed. And then I know, okay, like we need to just like take a pause here. Um, and I'm not always successful at that, but I've gotten a lot better being successful at that. Um, you know, ultimately it makes us, it's, you know, better communicators with, with each other and, and the world, but it's, it's definitely work. Um, and, you know, there are definitely times we don't get it right. <laughs> um, many of those times, but I think, you know, maybe this is true in any any relationship. You know, the the foundation of our relationship is so strong, and we love each other so much that we're we're always able to figure it out. You know, right? And I think that's a key piece. It's it's knowing that you're both working at it and you're trying because I know a lot of this is work that you know I do personally and in my own relationship. So it's you know being self aware and figuring out how to self advocate and right say I'm I'm really tired right now or you know actually I do really need to stop and eat because if not this will this will not progress well and I will flip out. This would be my side yeah, um, and totally. I'm the internal processor and my husband's the external processor. So I, I totally can relate to that. But again, having that foundation where you know you can always come back to and feel um, and feel a sense of safety that you can figure things out no matter how, you know, misguided things end up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that happens when I'm particularly tired that it took us a while to kind of get our brains around, but it's apparently from talking to other others, um, not entirely uncommon is at a certain point when I'm in addition to literally just being physically or mentally exhausted, my sort of auditory um, exhaustion kicks in. I reach a point where I know Erica's still talking, but it, it's actually a little—it's actually a little spooky. I have no idea what she's saying. Like the, 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 it, it's very abrupt. It just the, my ability to actually comprehend speech literally just—it's gone. She might as well be. She could be speaking a different language, and I probably wouldn't realize it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's and that's but that's a good warning flag to say. You know what? You can keep talking, but it's, <laughs> I, no longer, <laughs> I no longer understand you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think that's an important um, experience that, uh, you know, many people share, um, or it could be some other, right, sense that, that kind of gets that feedback, where it's like, wait, I, I can't, I'm kind of now not able to take in all of the information that's being presented to me. So no matter how, right, and, and I think... I've often talked about that same experience, more like from the education side or from the work side, but not necessarily from the relationship side. Uh, and and that's a huge part because that's really where we're right. Like that's where we get our connection, where we get our sense of family and safety and all that kind of stuff. Um, and work and school are just a piece, a piece of that. I think for Erica, one of the challenges has been that part of her feeling sort of you know, safe and secure and, you know, that, you know, again, sense of family and home is that she can sort of, because she spends her entire day communicating with people very, extremely fluently, but even so that's exhausting. And I think these are actually really great lessons, even for neurotypicals or, yeah. or, or, or nipicals as John Elder Robeson calls them. <laughs> um, so, I, but so even, so she's even exhausted from talking to people at a certain point. Sure. Um, but I think that the, um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, this happens. <laughs> I, I think that there's a good lesson in there in terms of I, I compartmentalize very well. 
this actually wasn't the point I was getting at, but it, sorry, I'll, come, I'll figure it out eventually. But like I compartmentalize very well. And so if I'm in a mode where like I'm outside seeding the lawn, which is what I was doing this morning, right? And Erica comes out to talk to me about something that's on the baby registry. My brain is not in that gear, right? It's like a manual transmission, right? You know, I'm, I, I can't drop from fifth gear into second. It's going to, you know, without blowing the transmission. So, and I think Erica's had to get you, or as Erica sort of moves back and forth seamlessly between can, all the gears, yes. I can't do that. But <laughs> when it comes to like, when something gets emotionally charged um, or, you know, something that's difficult that's, you know, where you can sort of see this conversation is not going in a really health helpful, this, not, we're not going to benefit from this further, from continuing this conversation that's like too charged or whatever is going on. Uh, being able to s sort of, for me at least, part of my survival technique is sort of saying, um, you know, I can't do this right now. Um, one of the things that we learned actually through a bit of a bit of therapy, trying to figure out how to kind of navigate this stuff was that Erica can live with that as long as we say, okay, so we're going to set aside time this evening or tomorrow morning or whatever it may be, but having some sort of concrete, we are going to address this, like just, just isn't the best time. And I guess that's where I was getting at sort of for, even for neurotypicals, that's actually not a bad strategy. Um, and it gives you a chance to kind of reframe in it. And for me as a person on the spectrum, if I've got to sort of think through and kind of script in my head parts of my parts of the conversation, which is something that I do, um, it helps to know I'm going to have the conversation as opposed to just sort of being caught off guard. And I've got to, then I've got to figure it out in real time. Um, that helps me actually communicate more effectively about something than when it's just sort of thrown at me and, I'm, and an answer is demanded. Well, I think it helps you figure out how you feel about the thing too. You know, and, and in, yeah, I didn't have a delay. It takes in me a the while moment, to figure out. Yeah, it's like I am, you know, I can, in the moment, I always know where I'm at, like, you know, emotionally and psychologically and philosophically on whatever the issue is we're talking about. And it does take Sam a little bit longer to figure, especially if, you know, I'm coming to him with something that he's not feeling in the same way. So it there there is a different Eric, way of processing for you. Erica came down the stairs at about 1130 the other night to find me watching Hulu um, and you know, with the, with a large bottle of wine and <laughs> asked the very reasonable question, are you okay? You had had a very stressful day at work and a very stressful week at work. So that was a very normal thing for a spouse to say, did they find their spouse is watching, binging Hulu. I was watching mm -hmm. Harlots, which is actually really great. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and drinking red wine. Are you okay? And I looked up and I said, I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I just, what, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, well, I guess considering the circumstances, I guess I'm not, but I really hadn't thought about it. <laughs> but you found a strategy to manage it regardless. I a, it I, admittedly, maybe not a healthy strategy entirely. But it's usually one of those things where like the next morning he can say something to me like, I feel really hungover. Or it's like, it's been a long week because of like X, Y, and Z. And I, you know, was, I think I was feeling I really sad last night. I to yeah. chew on it for a but while. But he couldn't, you know, I think, you know, there's a, he actually couldn't say that in the moment. Like, even if I could intuit that, like I, which I was intuiting, like that was part of what was going on. Like he couldn't say that to me in the moment. It took until the next morning to be like, okay, like this is where I was at last night. Yeah, I'm the king of the like the, what I should have said to the other person in the heat of the moment. It's like three days later, I'm like, oh, you know, I could. It's <laughs> very normal for me. And that's like yeah. sometimes it bears itself out too with bigger decisions in our relationship as well. Um, you have to you have to prime me with the information uh, yeah. and leave me alone to let it just. I for usually a bit. like come mm -hmm. to you know I come to my decision and like it's it, we're still working on you know how we, how we sort of sync up our timelines, um, but yeah, it's like. 
I, it's interesting because it's usually like by the time I have started thinking about something, I'm like fairly far along in my own thought process about a thing. Um, and I should really clue Sam in a little bit sooner because it, it does take him longer to figure out where he's at with it. Right. So <clears throat> if you're thinking about your, you know, you, you're a family of four right now, soon to be five. So and you have a lot of diversity in your home. <laughs> so how does this play into right the whole parenting piece of this? Because not only is it just the two of you, but it, there's four of you and uh, they're they're older too, right? So I think teenagers, am er I right? Erica, anything involving emotional processing or emotional labor, Erica runs point on. <laughs> <laughs> anything involving like log logistics or executive or certain aspects of executive functioning, not all of them, um, or, or what, you know, when on the occasions that dis the discipline or a little bit of whip cracking is required, that usually is my job because I'm very blunt and I just I like, you know, hand me your phone. You're all done. This you know, We actually work very well as a parenting team. But yeah, so the kids are 16 and 15. Um, so they are older. Um, our oldest is you know, on the spectrum and almost 17, almost 17. I know. Okay. And gender fluid applying to college, you know, uh, starting to apply to colleges. Um, busy time, busy time. Yeah. And our, our youngest um, is a trans boy and a freshman in high school. So yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of diversity in the family. I think, I think what's helpful, you know, it's like the same things that are helpful in our relationship are helpful in our family dynamic. It's a very, like open, honest family dynamic, um, you know, and and that has helped us help the kids navigate through mental health challenges, um, and you know, moving through, you know, the the act of becoming who they are, right in in the world, um, and, and and that is very helpful. But I think it's also, you know, I think as an entire family, there's a lot of sort of constant checking in about where everybody is at, um, you know. So whether that's a like a, a great example is sensory stuff. Um, so, you know, at any given moment, a noise might be too loud for somebody, you know, or chewing is really annoying, or <laughs> we need to like, you know, put music on um, at family dinners often when we're all at the table because it just helps everyone's sensory processing. Um, and I think I'm probably, I think I'm the only true neurotypical in the family. <laughs> I'm the Besides only, the dog, maybe. I'm the only, <laughs> I'm the only nipple. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and and uh, and uh, and the one on the way, where I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> so we'll find out. Um, but yeah, I think you know. So for me, like, I've I've learned how to, you know, I think we've we've learned like as a whole family how to create environments where everyone's feeling comfortable at any given moment. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is during this especially this last year and change with COVID, right? I think um, that might have been your, and I, having knowing you, I know that that was part of your normal, you know, kind of day-to-day -day anyway. But now when we moved into, you know, this quarantine, you know, lockdown to now semi-lockdown, where, wherever we're at, we've spent a lot more time <laughs> with our families and our partners. And, right, you start learning things that maybe you didn't, uh, know before or you know you were able to everyone kind of went out to work or went to school and then everyone could come home and there was like a different routine now it's or at least I discovered that it was we're spending a lot of time together 
And we're learning a lot more about how everybody actually operates when we're all in the same space and we don't have the ability to kind of run away. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I guess I should say, I need to think about that for a while, but um, <laughs> I guess my knee jerk response is I don't know that that rings true for us. Mm-hmm. And maybe in part because we have a, we have a, this huge old Victorian in South Providence. So we're spread out on three floors. Wow. And I'm on the third floor, and Erica's on the first. Everyone could take their space, and that that was key. <laughs> yeah, if I'm, the, if I'm in my third floor garret, like I actually don't realize that Erica has like left and come back. <laughs> the way I, actually hear, I you know hear it, I do know that Erica has an, an exceptionally loud Zoom voice. Yeah, I get very excited, and I just yeah, <laughs> and I project. Um, well, and I think too. You know, we went through a period of time where our oldest was in and out of Bradley Hospital. You know, I think we we as a family, and unfortunately, but maybe in this case, you know, fortunately, like we we were used to crisis scenario. Um, so well, it's some, what I do for a living, right? So, so in some ways, right? when lockdown right. happened, um, we we sort of knew how to respond. Like we we you know as a as a family unit, we're like, okay, like yeah, don't be really freaked out. For this the is part. this is interesting, like. Let's figure out what this means um, because we've been doing a lot of that, I think, um, as a family over the past nine years, uh, you know, in, in various ways. Um, but the space, the space thing has been key. Everyone being able to take their own space is definitely a plus. Um, I'm probably the one that um, I, I, something I didn't realize about myself because I tend to be such a people person is I like little things like driving to work by myself, I didn't realize that that was alone time, mm. like that I appreciated and mm. was not getting. <laughs> and I yeah. remember the first time I was in the, I think maybe it was late May last year. There was some moment when like, um, it was like the first time I'd been alone in the house since lockdown <laughs> began. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. This is amazing. <laughs> So I think I've actually gotten in touch with my inner introvert um, a mm. lot more during this time, which is not actually something I was expecting. People keep asking me, like, how are you doing, Erica? I think of you as such a extroverted, like, around people all the time person. And I am. But I have to say, I, I really enjoyed being at home. <laughs> so you've had some insight into yourself. In the yeah. Process. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I have been. This is partly because I'm working on my Ph.D., but. I've always said that I like the routine of going to the office. And in my case, because I work at the University of Rhode Island, I have a fair commute from Providence to, to Kingston every day. And that's kind of my time to you know, shift gears coming and going uh, between work and home. But that the, I mean, I'm working harder, even though I'm at home, I'm working harder now, I think, than I have in most of my career just because of the pandemic. But, um, and maybe it's because I'm also being exposed to you know more of an academic uh team with my PhD work, but that I actually kind of like this lifestyle. And I turned into where I thought I never would want to be a professor or be an academics. I'm actually finding myself a little envious of, of some of my academic colleagues and, rethink, and rethinking that, that notion. Well, and I think before, before your work really, um, you know, sort of exploded. Well, I had this lull. There was like this six week lull in the very beginning of the pandemic when I think, you know, like it wasn't clear like what what direction emergency management was going to take it and i really really noticed the difference between sam like being in the office and interacting with who knows how many different people all day 
and 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 then not having to do that and how much his energy levels had increased. So I remember saying to him about a year ago, like during this time, like this is something like, you know, who we didn't know then how long this was going to last. But I was like, it is clear to me that working from home is an accommodation for you. Like this is something that is really, really helping you. But how will they know I'm doing my job? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just interesting, right, that you we, here we are in a pandemic, you do emergency services, and it would be, I'm assuming, given, you know, a similar scenario here where I am, um, that that would now ratchet up the entire work level, right? You're trying to figure out what's the next step. We don't have that much information. It's been going on now for a year, and you added a PhD on top of it. But yet, while you're still tired and you have a lot of work to do, not being in the office where you expend a lot of that social energy. And even if you're not talking, sometimes just being in that yeah. space. Yeah. The auditory overload. Yeah. On our building is an old frat house from the 20s. <laughs> I liken it to working in a Japanese tea house. There's no secrets because you can hear everything through the walls, floors, and ceilings. <laughs> so just, right, just taking that out of the equation can give more capacity. And, and it, then, matters, like it matters, you know, it really does. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then that I think would free up more capacity for home and for other, right, other interests. I mean, maybe, maybe that's helped with, right, going back to school and doing that kind of, that kind of thing. I, I think, think so. Yeah. I think it's added and correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but like, you know, additional brain space for you hmm. um, that wasn't there before. <laughs> right. I, I think, and I, I know we're not really talking about work stuff, but one thing that has really evolved for me in the workplace that I think actually does indirectly affect home life. Of course it does. Is that yeah. I've, I've learned to be really early in my, in my time at URI, you know, I was, I was reluctant to sort of, to sort of disclose having Asperger's because, it, you know, people can have different views about it. Uh, and I have, and that probably is still true to some degree, but I've also found that more people actually, it, it helps, you know, especially when I have the occasional gaffe in my interactions with people, if they sort of have that lens to see it through like, Oh, you know, okay. Um, but also in terms of the, my team, especially in emergency management, and I've been really lucky that I have had a, well, actually our mutual friend, Josh, who worked with me for years and we're still close friends, but I worked with Josh for years. And then, then I have, um, a staff now that are both really get it, um, and sort of, and have already kind of intuitively figured out where they can sort of help make up, you know, where I have strengths and where like, it's better if they just sort of step in and deal with certain things, um, but that actually makes it a lot that that really does reduce a lot of the stress that I, you know, that I, I have that sort of support. I have a very, very understanding boss um, who is who has been you know really kind of worked with me to fit. You know, it took us a while to get to that point, but has in the unfortunately, he's retiring in a, in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. But um, but that has that has really helped. So those those things have really helped the work environment. those make a huge difference. So I bring it up because I think that's something that. Has helped my my overall mental health, which in turn helps at mm -hmm. home. And so, absolutely, I, now yeah. not everybody has the same work environment, um, mm -hmm. but it it really does help to get that support at work and makes it easier to deal with stuff at home as well. Right, especially since it does take up a big part of your like who you are as far as your time yeah. and you know who you spend time with as well. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to something when we when you both first introduced yourselves, you said you were on your second marriages, but perhaps the first. So I want to I, I kind of want to if you're OK with sharing a little bit about what you, meant, what you meant by that. Yeah. So I I had a very short first marriage, um, like 11 months short. <laughs> um, 
you know, had the big massive wedding and, and the whole the whole thing in my mid twenties. And um like not the right person, you know, for a variety of reasons, but also you know, that person was dealing with mental health challenges. Um, that, or, not, or not dealing. Right. Or not dealing that that was, you know, seeping into the relationship in ways that were starting to scare me. Um, and, you know, I also think I wasn't myself either. I wasn't really being my full self. This was a relationship where I, I wasn't, I didn't feel open about being queer, you know, um, for example. So. Yeah, I think, you know, having had that experience, um, you know, and, and as, as difficult as it was to leave that relationship, especially like within a year of this of this wedding um, and, and start dating again, you know, to me, it feels like this is the only like, you know, real, real marriage I've had. Um, and it's certainly the best relationship I've ever had as, as challenging as it is, right. It's hard. Like <laughs> we're not going to tell you it's easy to be in a neurodiverse relationship, but I don't, you know, I think uh, like all relationships are hard and they, they require work and they require commitment. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think it's helpful. Like I have this, this place of comparison where I can see how, how different it is, even when it gets hard. Hmm. Well, I think in my part, I, Erica had an uh, had a short eleven month marriage. I had a long eleven year marriage. Um, to uh, it's an example of 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 staying way too long. You know, when when you, when you know you're not in the right place, and but you you for a variety of reasons stick it out. One of which is interestingly, and I, I have a feeling this probably happens a lot, although I've not seen a lot about it in the literature. But the people on the spectrum, change is very difficult. Is very difficult for us and very scary. And so I think we have a tendency to stay in relationships and works or work situations or whatever um, long past their shelf life because the because the alternative is you know there's a, is a lot of unknown and really unsettling. Um, I realize that you know years later in hindsight, but um, you know, I say I say first marriage because this is the first time that I've really had a partner. Um, who you know? Who you know? As who is an equal, and 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 is supportive of you know figuring out. I mean, I, and I give, um, I give Erica enormous credit for doing what a lot of people wouldn't do, which is trying to navigate this. I mean, I think a lot of relationships for people, you know, neurodiverse relationships, fail because one person, um, either the I think you know it can be because the person on the spectrum is not willing to be flexible enough and work on their challenges and shortcomings, but also because the, 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 the nipical in the relationship also at a certain point says, I don't have to do this <laughs> because it's not, it's, it's not easy. Okay. And so, yeah, but so sort of sticking with it, but also um, trying to uh, figure out how to make it work um, and be supportive of me. And, and really, and I, a few minutes ago I was talking about sort of disclosing my, my, uh, ASD in the workplace and so on. And that, you know, I wouldn't have done without Erica sort of pushing and saying like, people need to know about this. Um, and, and, you know, and it helps others on the spectrum too, if you're you know, normalizing this. And so that's not something that I ever would have happened in my, with my previous spouse. And, you know, I think you hadn't been diagnosed yet either. So there's... I probably would have been diagnosed a lot sooner too. Yeah. Yeah, because Erica, I mean, it was already kind of on the, it was already on that trajectory when we met, because it really was a few months later that I was diagnosed. But I mean, Erica was really supportive about, yeah, you've really got to go do this. Uh, and honestly, I didn't think I was going to be diagnosed with Asperger's. I thought they were just going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you do have some of these traits. And it's, you know, 
not surprising genetically when they were when they said no, no there's no question here that, 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 <laughs> actually i have to share that he's he's like a good poster child this, like, <laughs> I was, this woman was fantastic she did um I had somebody when I, I later had a sort of updated neuropsych a couple of years ago. The person who did that looked at the original 14 page neuropsych diagnostic report and said, This is like one of the most thorough and comprehensive I've ever seen. So she really did a great job. So when I met with her to go over the results of the test, um, she said, She said, so she you know, went through a whole bunch of rigmarole about you know, all the stuff it said. She said, But I can, let me cut to the chase. She said, Statistically speaking, if you're in a room with 99 other people, random people out of the general population, statistically, you are probably smarter than 98 of them, but you are also the least well equip equipped out of the entire room to deal with that scenario. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people could probably resonate right. yeah. you know, that are listening here to that, to that um, kind of assessment, <laughs> which, which, um, which, yeah, I mean, I would say again, you know, a lot of what you've been talking about, I think even if we don't have, you know, true, um, and again, what what is true neurodiversity in a relationship or a family? Everybody has a every, different Right, yeah. everybody's different. And so you have to approach, everybody has different needs. Everyone approaches life in different ways. Everyone processes information differently. And I think what, what I'm hearing from both of you is that no matter what type of relationship and no matter who the players are, it is work and you have to both be willing to um, to do the work. And I, I remember someone saying to me, you know, you have to make that commitment every day. So yeah. every day when you wake up, you're like, nope, I'm, I'm still committed to, to doing the work or to having the fun or whatever, whatever today brings, I'm committed to doing that. And that resonated with my husband. And I really uh, strongly because we were like, yeah, this, this really is a commitment every day. And we laugh about it. And that's the, I think as the other piece, you have to have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Like Erica looks at she goes, you suck at this so badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, like for example, rewiring the house that like mm -hmm. I should never be allowed to do. Like they're great things I should never be allowed to do. Um, so yeah, I think the humor piece, and like we were saying to you about parenting, you know, is, is staying open, you know, and, and making space for everyone to be who they are. And in the case of parenting, like becoming who they are. Um, and, and that requires listening and it requires patience and it, it requires commitment to each other. Um, you know, and especially like in a, in a family scenario, but and the it, occasional recognition that I might not be right. Yeah. That's really hard for him. <laughs> Hard for um, a lot of us. <laughs> it's not, not an easy thing. No, it's not an easy thing for any of us. Um, and, and the assumption that if I've already thought of something, you are you that you must be aware of it as well, even if I haven't actually said it. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. It's like going back to the writing of the paper. He thinks he said it, like he wrote it in his brain, but he did not. <laughs> All right, I'm guilty of that one, so I'll take that one too. <laughs> it's knowing what those things are. You know, we all have our communication pitfalls. Um, and, you know, I think, it's, I think it's staying curious about yourself and your partner, you know, and your family. It's a different way of looking at it. It's like, I'm curious about how we can communicate better. I'm curious about how I'm communicating in this scenario or about myself. Like I've learned so much about myself being with, with Sam. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you, you have too. 
Um, and, and that's awesome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I really like, I like the way you said that because it's staying curious and, um, I, I use the term exploring a lot, like exploring who we are, exploring new scenarios, whether they're challenging or whether they're, you know, amazing, like assumedly amazing. Um, and just, and the same thing with your kids. I think the other piece is not always going in with assumptions of how things should be in quotes, or how you think they're supposed to be, because there's, you know, as I think we're all finding out in this time now, too, is that, right, we have to kind of not have some of those expectations that we thought, right, that we thought should be there. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece of it. Um, like with ourselves and with parenting, it's, it's, then especially true, I think, with parenting that, like, a, a, assumptions are never good. I don't <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, um, yes. like we're not finding out, um, we're not finding out the sex of our baby, you know, because I'm already so aware that like, how many assumptions people will start to make about the baby, or <laughs> the baby's actually like outside of me. Um, you know, and it happens everywhere. But I think it's it's checking yourself, you know, uh, like what those are for you and what you're assuming, um, and actually listening to the other person. Right. Um you know, and, and often, you know, once you drop what you, what you thought those things were, um, and I can speak to this too, as a, as a momica or as a step parent, <laughs> the kids call me momica, like, you know, what, you know, obviously our, you know, how I became a mom looks different than someone. Um, well, and the role that you took on it, because of, you know, their situation, our situation, I mean, you took on a different kind of parental role than a, than a, well, if there is such a thing as a typical there step parent, but <laughs> a not. traditional step parent, not. Um, you're talking on a much more like, but, um, mom but, I'm just, but like, you know, that's, I don't know. I would have never thought like that was not a scenario that was, you know, on my to-do list. Uh, <laughs> at 26. Right. Um, but it's led to like the most amazing things. And I love my kids, you know? And so I think it's when you let go of that and, uh, you know, look in, look in front of you and, and experience life, you know, the, the best things happen, you know? Definitely true. Definitely true. Well, I think this is, I think that's a really good way to kind of pause the conversation, let people really think about that and think about looking what's, what's right in front of them and being curious um, and, you know, not uh, getting stuck in what our old paradigm paradigms are um and just moving forward so thank you so much for spending this time with me this was so fun thank you Our for pleasure. having us <laughs> yes and i we could probably talk about a whole bunch of other things yeah. we? <laughs> so definitely i will um i will reach out to you both again awesome no please do and we love talking about being in a neurodiverse relationship too right? there's there's so little out there you know mm -hmm. that, that we've found and and you know we we want others to know that they're not alone um, and and that it's really possible to have a really amazing neurodiverse, like loving relationship and marriage. <laughs> Yay. And queer, all the things. Like, you can have, it. You you can can have, have all, all the things. things. <laughs> oh, that's even better. We can have all the things. Totally agree. <laughs> oh, this was fun. Thank you so much. Oh, our pleasure. Thank all right. you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. 
This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.